Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, why don't you guys go ahead, take your seats, get yourselves comfortable. It's amazing to have you all in church today. It's fantastic that you're here. And let's also say a big hello to our online church family too. We love our online church fam and we hope that it's one day the case soon when you can come and join us all in the room. But one more most important hello to everyone who's here for the very first time. If you're here in church and maybe church isn't what you do at the weekend, maybe it just doesn't form part of your weekends normally, but for whatever the reason, today, here you are, you find yourself here. Well, I want you to know, and we as a team and a staff want you to know, we've built this thing for you. We've built this thing so that you'll have the best time in church. We count it our personal mission every weekend to give someone who's not been here before just the best example and the best experience of church that we can possibly do. So I'm so glad that you're here. And if that is you today, you need to know you are so, so welcome. You know, we've been in this um, current series of talks called My Relationship With now for a few weeks. And then after the My Relationship With, we insert a word and Luke spoke to us about our relationship with finance and we've talked about our relationships with each other. And if you've missed any of this content from this series, I really would encourage you to jump on YouTube and catch up because this is great stuff. This is like real life skills. This is, this is really good content. And if you've missed anything from the series so far, I would encourage jump online and catch up for sure. But today I get to close out this series and I get to talk about something which is so key and so fundamental and so basic to who we are as Christians Something that if you're looking at becoming or developing a relationship with God, then this is something so foundational that if we get this stuff wrong, the consequences could be really bad for us in all areas of our life. But just before we go there, because I'm really excited to bring this content today, I'm like really stoked, I'm looking forward to to speaking this to you today. Just before we do that, let's pray because... I believe that without God's involvement on my very, very ordinary words, nothing changes. And we all want something to change today. We all want to leave here better than when we arrived. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we get to gather under this roof and open your word together. God, I'm so grateful for your church. Lord, I'm so grateful that you are alive, you're a living God, and you wanna make a difference in every one of our lives. And God, we wanna tell you that today, our hearts are open to you. Our minds are open to you. We hold the parts of our lives that maybe aren't so great on the palm of our hands, and we ask you, God, to transform them and change them and change us into who you want us to be. Because we wanna leave here today knowing in our soul that we're different than when we walked in because of your Holy Spirit working in us. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus and everyone said, amen, amen. You know, something that happens regularly with guys, and I'm not sure if this happens quite so often with girls, I would guess not, but something that happens with guys is that you can be having a conversation 
with a bunch of guys and there can just be some conversation going on. But through no real kind of design, a couple of well-aimed comments and a couple of turns in the conversation later and you could be in a full-on arm wrestling contest to find out simply who's the strongest. Like something that happens with guys is just that things get out of hand real quick. Like you can just escalate things to just such a crazy level and it seems to happen so, so fast. Well, some time ago now, um, a few of us were just in the office block and we were in the week and we were just talking. <clears throat> and it would really be unfair of me to name names, but fortunately for you, I've never really been all that fair. So Josh, who leads worship here on the platform, um, we love Josh. He was saying how he's really reluctant to go back to the gym because it hurts loads when you go back to the gym and you haven't been for a while. So we're all telling him to man up and we're saying, oh, get back in there, take some paracetamol, you'll be fine. Then somebody else throws into the conversation and says, "Um, how many press-ups does everyone think they can do in 60 seconds? Like, what type of a comment is that? That's like an incendiary bomb, isn't it? Well, how many press-ups do you reckon you can do? So some of the boys start throwing out some some numbers and how many they all think they can do. I don't even know where it came from. I just shouted out, 40! So, so I was like, almost like, well, check myself on my mouth, running it right there, 40. So anyway, so there we are. It's literally turned into just this ridiculous, like, testosterone fest. We're having this press-up contest right there where we stood. Obviously, I didn't do 40. <laughs> I did way more, like 50. No, I'm joking. I lost, like, by a long way. I was stone cold last. I nearly died on the floor. I like, honestly, I was like, Lord, I'm coming home. This is me now, checking out, I'm coming. It was like, it was bad. It was really bad. But I just didn't let on to any of the lads that I'd suffered so badly. I was like, full on asthma attack. I was dabbing myself down, taking painkillers, telling my wife, Vicky, how sore I was for like a week. And she was telling me to man up. And it was, it was just hideous, the amount that I lost. But I think what I'd done in, in, in hindsight was I had um, recalled the number of press-ups that I used to be able to do in my early 20s, like when I was well into the gym, when I was so more fit than I am now. And now that I'm in my late 20s, <laughs> I, <clears throat> I, 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 I was nowhere near that number. I was like so, so far away. What I'd done is used outdated information old information to falsely inflate how many I thought I could do and which totally blew up in my face when I was hit with a challenge because I wanted the guys to believe that I was stronger than I was. I wanted them to think I was better than I was and if I'm really honest, maybe I wanted to believe that I was better than I really was as well. So I faked it, which totally blew up in my face when I got hit with a challenge. But you ever feel like that? Like, you ever feel as if You've got it all together, like you're stronger than you really are, and you're kind of acting like you're all that strong. But then the second a challenge happens, you just get wiped off your feet. The second some difficulty comes, it's like you just crumble under the pressure, and you struggle to carry on. Like, you ever get that? So often I feel like we act in life, like I've totally got this, like I'm all over it, I've totally got the measure of this, and then something happens and we get blindsided. Something happens and we get taken out and we just can't do any more press-ups. We run out of ourselves. And I think this is the same in our faith lives as well because we all want to be strong in our faith. 
We all want a faith which is growing and real and true and vibrant. We all want a great faith. But I feel like this very concept has the, the tendency to spill over into how we live our life with God as well as how we live out our physical lives here. We want to be seen to be posting the right things on Instagram. We want to be heard saying the right things when you're in and around church. You know, it's, it's like, it's the early morning walk on the beach, like the hashtag loving my time with God today. You know, it's like that post or it's the open Bible next to the coffee cup with a pen on a white desk and a little plant. It's like starting today strong. You know, big arm emoji. You know, it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that content. And it's not that the content's wrong if it's accurate, if it's true. And this even happens here at church too. It, like, it happens here because, you know, the, the reality might be that we're in a difficult place. The reality might be that we're in a struggle, but we carry on and we act as if everything's fine. Like, for example, um, you might not be doing very well at work, it could be a real hard season. You could be on the chop list. It could be like your number could be up. It like could be any amount of pressure that you're under from your boss. But the way we carry on, it's like everything's fine. Everything's good. Everything's all right. But it's on your mind all of the time. Or what if it's a friendship or relational issue? Everything, everything used to be great with that person, with those people. It used to be so, so good. But there was a thing. There was a fallout. There was a there was a fractious period. And now, it never got resolved properly. So now, what you're living in is this awkward thing. You see them in church. You can't be happy when they smile. If they're doing well, that doesn't work out for you. And it's not showing any signs of improving. And it's not getting any better. But all the time, we act as if everything is fine. It's all good. You could have money struggles. It could be the case for you that you get to the end of the month and you're deciding who's going to eat in the house. Like, you have dreams that stress you out. You, you don't want to open the mail because you don't know what's in there. And, it, and it's not showing any signs of getting any better. You can see what money is coming in in your future, and it isn't great. But outwardly, you act as if nothing's changed because you just don't want to let people in. And if people in church ask you how you are, you give the stock Christian answer, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, all good, yeah, just fine. Everything's got a great week, it's all fine. Maybe today it's your marriage that's dysfunctional. It used to be great. It used to be brilliant. Like, it was so, so good. But that's changed. Like, you're fractious all of the time. It's always behind closed doors. You, you don't see eye to eye anymore. But outwardly, you're acting as if everything is fine. But behind closed doors, it's just not working for you. And I think our faith lives are exactly the same. I think we could be struggling so badly in our faith for a whole number of reasons that maybe we don't even know. Like, you might not have got the job that you prayed that you'd get, but you prayed that you'd get it, so why wouldn't God give it you? Because you're a good person, right? Like, you could have lost the loved one, and you prayed and believed that God was going to make them better, but he didn't. So, so what does that mean? It could be a bad financial place where you find yourself, but you give to the church every month. And so why am I in a bad financial place? Like, God, don't you see? Don't you hear my prayers? Like, what's that about? I can't understand why I'm in this season. Maybe you're hurting today just because 
something's happened. Life's just happened to you. And no matter how much you pray, and no matter how much you read your Bible, and no matter how much you try and dig in, the hurt doesn't really seem to go away. So, like, is God just not bothered about your prayer, the thing you're going through? Is he just not bothered about the difficulty? You know, there's all sorts of reasons why we can struggle with our faith, but often the way we present to people is like we're all good. I I think it just boils down to a fact of we want to be perceived to maybe be doing better than we really are. We want to make it look as if our faith life is great. And I honestly think it's about time that we all, as the church, got real about the state of our faith. Because this stuff is really important. It changes the way our life looks when things aren't good with our faith. So I've called this message today, my relationship with faith. And let me just say this. If you're here today and you're struggling with your faith, you may be doubting your faith, you might say, I'm flat out losing my faith, then you need to know you're not on your own. You know, a recent study um, taken over a cross-section of adults who would self-identify as Christians found that a massive 65% of them either doubt their faith now or have doubted it in the recent past. 65%. So this is a real thing. Like, this is a big deal. And I would say that there's two main groups of people who this message is aimed at today. The first group would be anyone who's in a difficulty right now. Right now, today, you're up against it. You might say of yourself, I've got questions. I've got problems. I've got challenges. I'm in a situation. It might be a health thing or an employment thing or relational thing, but that's me today. I feel as if I'm hurting right now. Then this message is for you. And the second group of people would be anyone who might one day go through a trial. And I think that would probably be about all of us. Because I've heard it once said that you're either coming out of a trial, you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going into a trial. Because life's not easy. Life is not a bed of roses all of the time. And what we need is a faith that's real and strong and growing. Because it's that type of faith that's going to allow us to, as the Bible correctly says, walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. In other words, it's the type of faith that's going to allow us to go through life's toils and life's stresses and life's difficulties without losing our hope and our trust in Jesus. In just a moment here, we're going to have a little look at the book of 1 Peter. Because what it does is it speaks into exactly what we're discussing today. But just before we go there, let me just give you some of the context, some of the the contextualisation of the days that Peter was living in when he was writing these words. So the book, First Peter, was written somewhere in between 60 and 65 AD. We're not exactly sure when, but um, it was during the reign of a crazy evil emperor called Nero. Now, if you don't know much about Nero, let me just paint the picture for you. This guy killed his own mum. He killed his first wife, and he most likely killed his second wife as well. So he's touched, like this guy is off his tree. He's absolutely crazy. Nero's so twisted, history actually believes that he burned down the entire city of Rome because he had such a fascination with building things. And when the Roman Senate said that he couldn't build anymore, he just torched the whole place so he could rebuild it all again. Like, 
he's got like some cuckoos out the nest. This guy is seriously wrong. Well, that didn't go very well for him because all the citizens in Rome started to blame him for burning everything down. So then he decides to blame this small band of already badly thought of, badly treated people known as Christ ones or Christians. He said they did it. So this already badly treated bunch of people then started getting brutally tortured and like absolutely hung out to dry because not only was near after them, everyone was after them because they blaming them then for torching the city of Rome. Just to give you an idea of how sick Nero was, among other things, he would have Christians dressed up in like fresh animal skins and then put into cages filled with wild dogs. And he would sit there with his advisors and drink wine while the wild dogs mauled and tore these people apart. And these were people like us. These were normal people who loved their families. These were just normal, everyday Christian people. He would take Christians and he would dip them in hot wax. And then he would tie them to a tree and set them on fire. And he would use them as human candles to light the night sky while he threw parties. Like this guy is so sick and twisted. It's just incredible. So these are the days that Peter's living in when he's writing the words that we're about to read. So let's jump in now to 1 Peter 1 verse 6. Peter says this, so be truly glad. Wow, so be true. That's what he wants to say to these people, to these Christians who are going through this terrible torture, so be truly glad. Carry on, there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. In other words, God might not make your trials go away, but he has a wonderful plan ahead. God might not make these things stop, but he has got a plan. Then he goes on to tell us that the trials have a purpose. Verse seven, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. I think that's a really interesting choice of words that Peter's got there. Because if he's implying that there is a genuine faith, then I think it stands to reason he's also implying that there must be a false faith. So I think if there's such a thing as a genuine one, there must be a false one. It stands to reason. I think we've got to be really careful as the church that we don't fall into a false faith because I think it's actually entirely possible that there could be people here today or watching this online today who believe that you're Christian, but your faith isn't real. I think that is entirely possible. Let me just briefly explain what I mean. I'll show you three different types of false faith. So the first one is something called an inherited faith. That would be where you might say, oh, my dad was a Catholic and my mum was a Methodist. And like we went to church at Easter and Christmas a couple of times. So I must be a Christian, right? Because, well, I'm not a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Sikh. Like I've been to church and I must be a Christian. My mum and dad were and my nan was. So I am, I'm a Christian. Well, that's an inherited faith, but it's not your faith. The second type of false faith is called a shallow faith. Now, Jesus spoke about this one in a famous story he told um, about a sower uh, in Matthew 13. He says, the sower went out and he was scattering the seeds and some of the seeds landed and it took root and started to germinate and then a small plant started to form. And then Jesus says, but the roots didn't grow deep enough because it was shallow faith. So when the storms of life came, 
uh, Jesus says, when the worries of this life came along, it choked out the little plant and it died. Why? Because the roots weren't deep enough. And again, I think that's where some of you are today. Like if I want to be, can I just be really honest for a second? I don't want to be overly negative, but I know this is true. In 12 months time, there'll be some of you who are happy to be in church today who won't be here. Not only will you not be in Liverpool One Church, you won't be in any church. You won't be reading your Bible. You, you won't be praying. Like you'll have walked away from the whole thing. And I don't say that to neg everybody out, but I've seen this time and time again. You'll get taken out. You could be deep in some addiction, hurting, in fear, marriage on the rocks, and all because your faith wasn't there. The roots weren't there to keep your faith deep. Did it just get really quiet in here or is it just me? I, um, I've had so many conversations over the years with people who've like come to me and gone, um, Dave, got this like life control thing going on and I'm in this like whole habitual pattern and I just really want to know how to break out of it or I just want to like feel really close to God. Like how is that doable? Like how can I get there? How can I do that? And each time I've spoken to, to people who've said along those lines, I've always said more or less the same kind of thing. I've always tried to build in some habits and you kind of just you make a start and you go, okay, we do two church services every weekend. We do a 10 and a 12. Pick one that works for you and commit to be in there. Like make a stand and go, I'm going to commit to being in church at the 10 every single week and just turn up and just be here. And then the other thing I, I would say <clears throat> is that one church visit per week is probably not going to give you all of the... Um, the backup and all of the tools in your toolbox that you need to go out and live for the next seven days. So let's try and do something midweek. Let's get you into a life group because I think that's where we become most like the early church, which is the OG of churches. They were like in Acts and they met from day to day and they went from house to house and they met all the way through the week and that's how they kept themselves strong. And you might say, well, yeah, but if I go to a life group, there's going to be a weird person. And I would go, well, yeah, because there's always a weird person in every life group. That's just the way that it is. There's always going to be one. And you might go, well, there isn't one in my life group. And, and I would go, well, there is. And then you might argue all day long and go, no, no, there's no weird people in mine. I go, there, there is. And you're it. And there you go. And that would be you. So, but we've got to learn how to deal with weird people. We've got to be able to deal with people who upset us. We've got to be able to forgive those people who offend us. We have to be able to deal with those people. But what you'll get is a community of people around you who are reading the Bible, having God-centered conversation. And no, just for the youth among us, Call of Duty Life group is not a thing. It's like, it's like you want to read the Bible, you want to pray together, and iron sharpens iron. And then what happens is you're going to be reading the Bible, you're going to be praying together, you're going to be deep in some kind of like a little community. It's going to be amazing. But then if you start to walk away and you start to struggle, your life group gets to go, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't do that. No, we follow Jesus. Are you okay? Like I've noticed something's changed and we get to strengthen each other and we get to grow deep roots. This is really important stuff because some of you are here and you're kind of in, you're kind of, you're kind of over the line. You're almost like, totally sold out, you're kind of in, but some of you need to take a step forwards before the devil takes you out. You need to move on and grow and progress before you get taken out. 
because there's a war going on for your soul and he will never, ever, ever stop. And God will never stop loving you, but he will never stop trying the doors of your life in an amazing way that make it look like it's so, so great. But if you don't take a step forward and get some, get some community around you and start to sell out for some stuff, you'll get taken out. And, and I don't want it to be the case that 12 months from now, you're on your own, isolated, in fear, marriage on the rocks, because you just didn't have deep enough roots. We need the strength of the church. And let me just say this, Charlotte said it last week, but the church is not a podcast. It's not something you throw on while you're doing the hoovering. Church is this. Jesus died for the church. Like, church, church is the gathering together of people who sharpen each other and then we go out there and we attack the world with the love of Jesus. That's the church. He died for the church. He's coming back for the church. The Bible calls it the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church, so we do. He thinks it's important, so we do. And we are not going to have a shallow faith. The third false faith is a conditional faith. And this would be something where you might say, I'll believe in God, I'll trust God, I'll even serve God, as long as everything goes my way. That, that, like, I used to work with a guy and he said, um, my wife left me, I lost my kids, how can I possibly believe in a God that would allow that to happen? That's a conditional faith and it's a false faith. And I think there's some people who are here today or watching online today and you have a false faith but maybe God just wants you to be here today that you can start the journey. He wants to turn that round and give you a genuine faith and start you on a track where you can grow deep, deep roots and grow a genuine faith. <clears throat> now, if you're in the middle of a difficult time right now in your life, in your life placement, what I would say is it would be perfectly normal for someone who's in that position to maybe say the words, you know, I just feel like I'm in such a trial at the moment. I feel as if my faith is really being tested. Like that would be a totally normal, legitimate thing to say. But I think what we need to understand is how God uses our trials it, it, like to, to strengthen us. I think he uses our trials in two main ways. The first way being this, trials expose your faith. Yeah. Trials expose your faith. Let's read it again. 1 Peter 1 verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. In other words, a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. When it's been tested, it can then be trusted. Peter's a prime example of this. I would encourage you to go back and just read a little bit about the character of Peter in his early life. I'm sure he was like a closet scouser. He was always firing his mouth off. He said exactly what he thought all of the time. It was like, don't engage your brain, just speak it out. This one time he was uh, saying to Jesus, hey, if all these other loser disciples, if they all deny you and they all leave you, I never will. I'm your boy, Peter. I'm on your side. Like I'm in their clan. I've got your back. They can, hey, they can jog on this lot. They haven't got a clue. Peter, John, James, pff, whatever. Like, hey, I'm your guy. I'm the one who'll, I'm back you up. Then what happens? Later in his life, not once, not twice, but three times, he denies even knowing Jesus the night when the Roman soldiers came to take him away and crucify Jesus. Once to a little girl, a tiny little girl with a munchkin lunchbox. She's like, do you know Jesus? And he's like, no, no, never heard of him. No, don't know who he is. So like, to a little girl, like, 
that's ridiculous. What an absolute, he just properly threw Jesus under the bus. Then he has to watch as Jesus is arrested, beaten and brutally killed and hung on a cross for his sin and for all of our sin as well. Talk about having egg on your face. The guy stood there watching him die because he just wasn't willing to say, yeah, I know him. He wasn't willing to stand up and be counted. Three days later though, the tomb where they buried Jesus is empty. Jesus then has risen from the dead and he has a meeting with Peter. He then comes to find him. And if that was me, I'd be like, oi, I want a word with you. Like you and me, we've got some unfinished business. That whole cross thing, you said you didn't even know me? Like, sit down, let's, let's take this in the car park. But Jesus didn't do that. Let's look at what Jesus did do. Jesus instead gives Peter a job. Like he, he, gives him a, he gives him a task to do. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. He goes, do you love me? He goes, yeah, do you love me? Yes, I do. He goes, then feed my sheep. And by sheep, he means people. You see what just happened? Peter went into that conversation as a fisherman and came out of it as a preacher. Peter went to meet with Jesus as one thing and came out of it as something completely different. Why? Because Jesus just gave Peter a job. What went on? God used Peter's trial to strengthen his faith and transform him into who he was becoming. He used the trial to make him who he wanted him to be. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 1-2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He says, if you're in a trial, you can consider that trial as joy. What? Like, consider the trial as joy? Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith. In other words, God's gonna use it. God's doing something through it. I know what God does with my hurts and he never wastes a hurt. If you're going through something, God's moving, he's working, he can use it, he's doing something through it, he's wanting to transform you into who he wants you to be. He says there's a purpose in your pain and he never ever wastes something that hurts. So trials reveal your faith. The second thing I hope that you'll see today is this, that trials can draw you closer to God. Trials draw you closer to God. 1 Peter 8 tells us this exact thing. And look how Peter writes it. He says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. You love him though you haven't seen him. And even though you can't see him, you trust him. And I think we've got to remember who he's writing this to. It could have been the case that someone's family member or someone's cousin just got burned as a human candle like the night before. And he's writing this to them. And he says, and yet you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. A joy that can only come from heaven. A joy that calms your mind. A joy that stills your fast beating heart. A joy that settles your soul and gives you a feeling that everything is gonna be okay. He says, the reward for trusting him, verse nine, is the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul. Now we're talking about the gospel. This is the good news of who Jesus is. 
it, 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 and, and what we need to understand is not that God saves us from our trial. God saves us from our sin. God, God, it, the, the Bible says, he never said, I'll save you from your trial. He, he never said, I'll save you and stop all your troubles. He never said that you won't have migraine headaches. He never said that you won't have financial difficulties. He never said that you won't have someone in the office who drives you that crazy, you just want to go and do them in. He never said any of that. He said the opposite of that. Jesus says this, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He says it, you will have trouble. He's not a liar. Trouble will happen, but take heart. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. The good news isn't that he saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves us and delivers us from our sins. That's the best news of all time that we've got right there. Then some people say, well, you know, God will never, God says he'll never give you more than you can handle. I've read it in the Bible and they'd say, I've read the bit where he says he'll never give you more than you can handle. That's wrong. That's a misinterpretation of a verse that says God will never allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear. But God never said he wouldn't give you more than you can handle. I'm convinced that God would often give us more than we can handle because that teaches us to depend on him. If we don't get in over our heads, if, we, if, if everything's fine all the time, we've got no necessity for Jesus. We've got no, I'm convinced that we get taught these lessons and in the hope that we'll learn. When we're hurting, we turn to Him. When we're desperate, we depend on Him. Because let's be honest, for those of us with a false faith, the moment everything's fine, we'll just crack on and do life without Him. If we've got a false faith, we don't even need Him until the next time there's a problem and then you're back. I'm convinced God will allow us to be weak because in our weak, in our weakness, the Bible tells us his strength is made perfect. That's when he becomes God and we become person. When we say we're weak, when we get so low that we get beaten and beaten and beaten by the things of this world, that we're so low, we just feel like the only way that we can go is up. We're, we're right down and we go, God, I just need some help. And he looks at you like I look at my three-year-old daughter and he goes, it's gonna be okay. It's all right, come on. And he lifts you up and he loves you and he holds you and he delivers you and he makes everything okay. But we only get to that point when we're low because if we're not low, then we're fine. And if you have a false faith, you can crack on completely without him. God will often allow us to go through some things. And what I wanna put to you today is that when you look up, you'll find him and he'll be good. And what you'll experience at that point is exactly what we talked about, a glorious, inexpressible joy. That's what you'll be filled with, a joy that can only come from heaven. And you might go, well, how do you know that? I know that through personal experience. Some of you will probably know parts of this story, but back in late 2009, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was told at the very off that it wasn't going to end well for him. He um, went to be with Jesus five months later and he was my best friend and it hurt like crazy. 
And sometimes it still does, just a little bit. But at the same time, <clears throat> we'd launched Liverpool One Church. Not like this. It was the merest of launches. It was like 13 people in a room over the far side of the city, like desperately praying and believing that God just might want to use a misfit bunch like us to make a difference for him and transform lives for, for him in this amazing city. We were just desperately hoping that that was going to be the case. Now, around the same kind of a time, I was drumming to an incredibly barely passable level with the band. I was playing some drums and I'd muddle through and we'd get some stuff done. And I just remember that Luke came to me and we had a conversation surrounding whether or not I was going to drum through that time. And he just said like, look, you do you. There's no pressure. We can, we can do this either way. You can play through or you can take a break. We all know what you're going through and it's, and it's incredibly hard, but look, there's no pressure. Do what, do what you need to do. It's totally your decision. And I just remember what I said to him. I, 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 practically word for word, I just said, oh mate, don't take my drumming away. I just want to play through. I just want to keep on going and I just want to keep on playing because it's, it's a good thing in my life and I just want to keep on doing it. And I'm convinced now that I made that decision because I realised that losing my dad had no effect at all on my faith. Even though something bad happened, it didn't affect my faith in Jesus because my faith is not based in what I can see. My faith is based in who God is. Like that's where I've chosen to put my life. My faith is based in who God is, not what happens to me and not what I can see. But at the same time, I hurt because it was real and I'm human. And I was afraid because normal fears, that's a standard thing to go through. But at the same time, I had this amazing faith in the supernatural goodness of God in my life. And what I want to let you know is that I had during that time and still have now to this day, a glorious, inexpressible joy in my heart that only comes from heaven, which allows me to walk through some stuff. Is it easy? No. Does it hurt? Yes. But there's a glorious inexpressible joy that the God of all creation has me, holds me. I'm close to him. That's who I lean into. And, and I would say to you, look, if you lean into him today, he'll lean into you. And he wants you to know today that he loves you. <laughs> oh boy, how he loves you. He, he, he wants you to know that you're not going through a struggle because you've been bad. He wants you to know that you're not going through a struggle because you've done something wrong. He wants you to know that you're going through a struggle, hoping, praying and, and wishing that you will lean into him and that you'll allow him to be real to you and pull your faith roots deep. He wants you to grow your faith deep. And if you do, if you take that step today, what you'll find is that your faith becomes deeper and more true because you trust in him. Church, time has gone. I'd love the opportunity to pray with you. So if you could just stand and then we're going to sing. The band are going to come and sing again. But let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, together as Liverpool One Church are so grateful for you. 
I'm so thankful, God, for you in my life. And Jesus, we would ask you today, together corporately as your church, that you will meet us where we're at in our troubles that we're in. God, I pray, you if the, I pray God, if there are those here today who are listening to this going, that's me, I'm in a trail right now. God, I pray that they will lean into you. They'll find the tools to lean into you. They'll find the encouragement. Their life group will get around them. God, that they'll find the community and the braveness to lean into you and you'll be found to be good and you'll be found to be completion making and you'll draw these things to a close, God, that you will deliver people and bring us through our difficulties, transforming us into who you want us to be for your perfect plan for every single one of our lives. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. And while everyone's eyes are still closed, everyone's head still bowed, maybe you're here today and you just don't know God. You can see the sense in some of the stuff that's been said and you can kind of get on board with what way it's been put across. And, but you just don't know Jesus and you're like, I've never made that decision. I've never crossed over that line. Well, right now, his Holy Spirit is in this room and he's drawing you close to him. And the only thing you need to do is pray one prayer and you'll begin the best days of your life. Guaranteed. So I'm gonna pray one very short prayer and then the band are gonna take it. And if that's you today and you just wanna come home to Jesus, then I would just say, look, pray this prayer in your heart after me and he will do the rest because he's a faithful, good God. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, God, and I wanna say, I am sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Lord, all the stuff that distanced me from you, I wanna apologize, God. I wanna thank you for dying on a cross for me and raising again from the dead to take away my sin. God, I want you to make your home in my heart. Would you come and live in my life from now until I come and meet you again one amazing day in the name of Jesus and the Liverpool One Church people of God said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.